Welcome in Hardcore College Football. My name is Corey Lestoki. I'll be your host per usual. And I am going to be honest with you guys. We have one of the best interviews that I've had the privilege of having on the show today. Gabe Feldman, one of the leading experts, dudes, when it comes to anything with college athletics and law. And he's joining the show to talk to us about everything to do with name, image, and likeness. And the court case is coming up on March 31st. You know, these states passing all these local bills, what it means for EA Sports video games, all sorts of stuff. This is probably the most dense episode as far as material coming at you. So do not feel like you have to listen to it all right away. Take breaks if you need to. If you need to listen to it multiple times, please do that as well because there's so much information and so much great uh, context in this episode that I really think you guys are going to A, appreciate it, but B, really learn a lot. I don't want to go out there and undermine anyone else that I've ever had on the show, but as far as learning things and really learning how it all kind of ties in together and the positions that the NCAA is in, the position that the states are in, the position that schools are in, and, and really what that means for the players, Gabe Feldman does a fantastic job here. He really does. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. I don't want to tell you this is one of those episodes where you can't have it on in the background, but I really think to get the most out of it, you're going to have to truly listen to it, really kind of be focused into it, because there's a lot of material here, guys. Name, image, and likeness is something, and, and all of this drama that's behind it right now as we head into the summer, it's a big deal, right? It's a, it's a huge deal, and there's a lot to it, and Gabe does a phenomenal job, not necessarily dumbing it down to us, but creating it and presenting it in a way that you will understand it. So really looking forward to you guys enjoy this interview. Um, please, 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 if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to whatever you listen to your podcast at. Um, with that being said, guys, we're not doing any CFB news uh, because things haven't really changed that much. So what we're going to do instead is jump right into the interview. Uh, 40-something minutes coming at you right now. Gabe Feldman, everybody. Welcome now onto the show, the director of the Tulane Sports Law Program, Tulane's Associate Provost for the NCAA Compliance, reporter of the Committee for the Uniform Law Commission, and host of the Between the Lines, a podcast about sports and law, Gabe Feldman. Welcome on the show, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, really, really happy to have you on the show. I think we mentioned it last week, kind of the things going on with name, image, and likeness, and Obviously, this is getting a lot more talk because people really just care about their own college football video game. Um, but without doubt, as we're heading into the summer now, things are starting to pick up. Things are trying to get a little bit more crazy here. Um, and I'm really happy to have you here. Gabe, first of all, for people that have no idea what we're talking about today, can you just give an explanation and what we're trying to battle here for with name, image, and likeness for college athletes? Sure. I think as most people probably know that college sports – is based on a notion called amateurism. And amateurism, although it has evolved over time, the uh, basic premise of it is that college athletes cannot be paid based on their athletic ability. And that has meant from the early days that you couldn't even get an athletic scholarship because that was considered compensation based on your athletic ability. They loosened that rule, obviously, so athletic scholarships are the norm, particularly in football and basketball. But it has continued to mean two broad things. One is that you can't be paid to play and can't be paid to come to a school to play. 
Uh, and the other is it means you can't be paid based on your athletic ability or reputation, which means you can't be paid for your name, image, and likeness, which would include the traditional endorsement deals where you're in a Pepsi ad, which would include autographs, appearances, uh, and now what's become more and more popular, social media appearances. And then the one that I think the fans probably care the most about is video games. You, you can't be paid to be in a video game and you actually can't even appear in the video game because that would be the use of your name, image, and likeness uh, based on your athletic ability. So that, that's been the, the rule for as long as college sports have existed. And what we've seen in the last two years is a move to loosen the rules, not so much to allow athletes to be paid to play, but to allow them to be paid for their name, image, and likeness. And what started with an unsuccessful lawsuit by Ed O'Bannon a number of years ago has led to now states, Congress, additional plaintiffs, and lots of reporters and media outlets making a push to try to at least allow college athletes to get paid by third parties for the use of their name, image, and likeness. So that, that's where we are, sort of broadly speaking. Okay. Now, I guess there's a lot of misconceptions or there's a lot of people aren't really sure, you know, how universities are currently getting around this, right? Because you mentioned, okay, back then you weren't even allowed to really even have a scholarship. Obviously, most athletes are on scholarship now, but they still get some sort of stipend. Is there some, can you, I know every school is a little bit different, but what are athletes actually able to make right now? What is the actual rule um, by the NCAA or by whoever on what athletes are able to basically how, how do how do uh, programs find money for these athletes in other ways then? Yeah, so it is it is just the NCAA rules, and then there's some other federal law that goes in in terms of financial aid and, and stuff like that. But but we're really mostly talking about NCAA legislation. And then keep in mind, it's not just the NCAA. There's the NAIA. There are other collegiate sports bodies out there, but most of the focus is on NCAA, and that's what most people care about. Uh, so the general rule is, and it's been for a long time that you got to grant an aid if you were a college athlete. And the grant and aid was your scholarship. And that scholarship covered rooms, book, board, tuition, and everything you would think about in terms of being a college student. Uh, the problem was for college students that that didn't necessarily cover all of their living expenses. And you might remember some high-profile athletes saying um, they've been playing all week, they've been practicing, and then they go back to their dorm room and they're hungry because they can't afford to buy an extra meal. And there were just basic living expenses that weren't covered by what was called this grant aid. So there was a lawsuit, and it was actually that Ed O'Bannon lawsuit that established that colleges have to offer or are allowed to offer up to what's called the full cost of attendance, or COA. And that full cost of attendance is designed to cover those other expenses, whether it's laundry, extra food, travel to go see your parents or, or friends, whatever it might be. So that's now what is allowed to be paid. And most of the big-time programs offer up to full cost of attendance for their full scholarship athletes. And so that means that every athlete who gets that cost of attendance gets a check. And that check can be anywhere between $2,000 and $6,000, depending on the school. And they can use that for whatever they want. That doesn't have to go towards books, towards education. They can use that to just buy meals, to send it to their friends or family, whatever it might be. So that's what they, they get the, the scholarship and then the full cost of attendance stipend. And then there might be some other benefits they get uh, in terms of insurance if they need it. There's also potentially some benefits if they make it to a bowl game or win a tournament, then there might be a swag bag where you, where you get a gift certificate or headphones or something like that. 
But that's pretty much it. That's what you're allowed to get from the school itself. Now, there are things that athletes can do to get paid outside the school. So it used to be that student athletes couldn't get employment um, during their playing season. Now they can. That can't be by the school, but they can get a job with some third party. They can get internships. They can do camps and clinics. They can do lots of other things to get the money, but none of it can come from the school. Okay, that's that's actually really nice to clear that up that way because there's a lot of misconceptions and and some people, you know, hopefully we're all you know caught up today on what the actual rules are. Speaking specifically about name, image, and likeness, where are we currently on March 12th between the NCAA and you know federal legislation, but also obviously state legislation, which is kind of what we talked about a little bit last week, and then the schools. Where where is everybody standing? Um, are schools and states more with the players and against the NCAA? Where is everybody at this current juncture? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. It's a complicated answer. I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Now, the thing about it is there are four buckets that are going on right now. One is the NCAA itself, which is usually the only bucket. The NCAA trying to figure out what rules will apply to their schools and to their athletes. They, over the last year and a half or so, have been drafting NIL legislation. They were supposed to vote on it in January. Um, they had final proposals from each from Division One, Two, II, and Three. They decided to table that to wait until later, either in the summer or in the fall, to vote on it. So the NCAA is paused, but under the legislation that was proposed, college athletes would be allowed to be paid for name, image, and likeness by third parties, not by the schools, by third parties in really anything, endorsements, um, appearances, social media, whatever it might be. There wouldn't be a limit on what they can do. They just have to be legitimate payments, not pay-for-play, not just a kind of a cover to get them to come to the school. Uh, and they would be allowed to hire agents to help them with that. So that's what the NCAA, in a sort of a nutshell, had proposed. Then we have six states that have passed laws that would allow really mostly similar things. There's not a lot that the states would allow that the NCAA doesn't already, wouldn't uh, propose allowing in, in their legislation. There, there's some additional benefits, but for the most part, the six states that have passed laws are similar enough to the NCAA. The one that would go into effect first is Florida's law. Florida's law is scheduled to take effect July 1, 2021. So just a few months down the road. The other states could take effect soon after that. Other states could actually go into effect before that, if they wanted to, there are probably 30 other states looking at NIL legislation right now. Most of it looks a lot like the six that have been passed. There are some exceptions, and the exceptions are the ones that I think really scare the NCAA. The exceptions would provide not only NIL compensation, but would also have revenue sharing. And it would require the school to take the revenue they earn from college sports, again, primarily football and men's basketball, and share a portion of that with the college athletes. That's what they're really worried about because, one, that would be a significant chunk of their revenue potentially going to the athletes. And, two, they're worried that that might change the relationship between the schools and the athletes, make them more like employees. And if they are more like employees, that might give them the right to form a union. And if they have a right to form a union, they would have a right to collectively bargain. And if they have a right to collectively bargain, they can get lots of benefits that they don't currently have. Um, so that's part of the fear of what's going on at the state level. But for now, the thing you need to know is that July 1st, Florida's law would take effect. Nebraska has passed a law that says that they, it could take effect today. Whenever Nebraska school wants to allow NIL payments, the law would take effect. So that, that one's floating out there. 
Um, but you know, what's important to know is six different states have passed law. 30-ish different states are looking at passing their own laws. So that's the state bucket. Federal bucket, there have been six bills introduced at the federal level that would touch on college athlete rights. On one end of the spectrum, you could say from the Republicans, it's really narrow. It would allow some name, image, and likeness compensation, but not much else. And then the other side, uh, Senator Booker and Blumenthal, would allow not only name, image, and likeness payments, but also that revenue sharing model I just talked about, where there could be a significant amount of revenue that would go to the college athletes unrelated to NIL. Ticket sales, TV revenue, that would be shared, like we see in the pro leagues, with the college athletes. Uh, and then there would also be better health benefits, lifetime scholarships, all sorts of other things as part of this athlete bill of rights. None of that has progressed particularly far. Congress has a lot of other things on their plate. Now that the COVID relief bill seems to be um, done, they may be able to shift some of their attention to other things. What some senators have said is they want to pass federal legislation before July 1 so that they can preempt state law. Because the fear is if you have all different states have all different laws, that's going to, as the NCAA would say, destroy college sports because you have to play under the same rules. You can't have Florida have better treatment of college athletes than New York or California. That's going to lead to recruiting advantages, competitive advantages. So the NCAA has pushed for a national uniform standard, um, and that's what Congress is working on. So there's a little bit of a, a race against the clock to see if Congress can get something done before the state laws take effect. And then the last bucket is the Supreme Court is about to hear a case in less than three weeks that uh, is challenging basically the NCAA's amateurism structure under antitrust law. And that case could go any number of ways and, and is just another one of the variables going on right now. So what I'm saying is the NCAA is kind of juggling a bunch of fiery knives because there's just, <laughs> it's usually they have to sort out what is the, what do the power five conferences want versus the group of five? And they still have to deal with that issue, but they also now have to deal with Congress, state legislators in almost all 50 states and the Supreme Court. So it is an absolute mess and uh, a lot, we will learn a lot more over the next three or four months. Yeah, you pretty much, I have like, I don't know, 25, 30 bullets here and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I think you might have covered all of them as far as questions I have. So we're just going to take that answer. And that was like the best synopsis of what this rest of the podcast is going to be about today because there's so much to unpack in what you just said there. And I think you're right. It is an absolute crazy jumbled mess. Um, let's start with the kind of that beginning stuff. And, I, and just correct me if I'm wrong here. But it seems like, you know, you mentioned the NCAA doesn't want all these different states to pass their own bills. Yet they had the opportunity, it seemed, first to get something on paper. What was the holdup there? And why, if they had a chance to maybe set the standard, why didn't they go ahead and do it? Now they're going to have to juggle all these things like you just mentioned. Yeah, it's a really good question. And California was the, fast, the first state to pass their law. And it's now over a year ago. And the thought was that California was going to force the NCAA to make the change on its own because they didn't want to be subject to all these different state laws. And you can almost see that was part of the strategy of California because their effective date for the law they passed originally was, I think, 2023. So it, it was basically saying, NCAA, if you don't change something in the next three years, you're going to have to deal with the state. And the NCAA said, okay, we're going to meet, we're going to make change because we don't want a state forcing us to 
follow their rules. We want to come up with our own rules. And then other states joined in, and Florida made the big change by saying, you know what, we're not going to let you wait until 2023. We're going to put the effective date as July 2021. Um, and that was thought, well, that's really going to push up the NCAA's timeline. And it did. But then all of a sudden, in January, when they could have, as you said, made the change on their own, and by making the change on their own, they might have convinced the states to say, okay, you've done what we wanted you to do. Uh, we'll still monitor this, but we're going to back off. But instead, they paused, and there's a few different possible explanations for why they paused. One might be that legitimately they could not figure out what they wanted the rules to be. Because although most people now agree that college athletes should be able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness, there's still disagreement about how and how much and what, uh, what the NCAA is called, what guardrails should be put in place. So on one end of the spectrum, there are people who think you should just be able to do whatever they want, just like any other student on campus, and there should be no restrictions. On the other end of the spectrum, are those who say they shouldn't be able to do anything individually, but we can do group licensing. So let's have it so that if we want to have a video game or we want to have a team all do a deal together, that way they can share the revenue equally. And we don't have to worry about team chemistry issues and people upset that their teammate is making more than the other, and we don't want to fundamentally change college sports. So I think that's part of what's driving it, is they really are having trouble figuring out what the rules should be. But my sense, and this is speculation, I don't, nobody's told me this for a fact, is that the NCAA realized and learned that the Supreme Court was going to hear and decide this antitrust case. Uh, all of a sudden, that got added to the mix. And remember, the, the court is hearing that March 31st and might decide it in June, July, sometime around then. And I think there's probably a fear that if the NCAA changes its NIL legislation prior to the Supreme Court's decision, it might impact the Supreme Court. Because what the NCAA is arguing in front of the Supreme Court is that they need to be able to have their own rules and they need to have amateurism as they define it. And the way they've defined amateurism, which is where we started for 100 years, is that athletes cannot be paid based on their athletic performance unrelated to education, right? We can give them the athletic scholarship, we can give them the cost of attendance, we can give them other stuff, but you can't just let them be paid for their celebrity, for their athletic ability. And if the NCAA passes legislation that says, no, we are gonna allow them to be paid based on their athletic ability, then it may weaken their argument from the Supreme Court. So it's possible they delayed so that they wouldn't have to face the Supreme Court um, saying, yeah, we, we've changed our amateurism rules. Because if they say that to the court, the court might say, well, then we can change them even further. Your amateur, amateurism rules obviously aren't that strict if you're changing them now. Um, so that, that could be part of it, but who knows? It, it's a, uh, you know, the, old, the, the cliche is it's a massive ship and it's difficult to turn the ship. Uh, so that may be part of it, but with all due respect to the NCAA and, and the presidents, this ship has been sailing for a long time. They've had time to turn it. Um, so I, I don't think people really put much weight into the idea that it, it's, they didn't have enough time to make the change. You know, they've had decades to make this change. Right. And I mean, it's not like the, I guess, political landscape from that perspective. It's all of a sudden. We've seen this coming for a while now. I mean, heck, the video game stopped in 2014 if you really want to take the last half decade. So um, right. I want to understand, and maybe this is the best case for the NCAA at this point, but would they be able to argue that third-party name, image, and likeness, you know, paying people third-party, paying these players third-party, 
would be considered part of amateurism still? Is that their best case scenario now that, hey, let it be third party only? That's not really technically the school's paying. They're still amateurs, but they're, you know, hey, they're just having a YouTube channel. They're still amateurs in that sense. Is that kind of the best case scenario for the NCAA at this point? I think it is. And I think it's an argument they should have made a long time ago. And, uh, you know, I'm not alone in this, but that it's not inconsistent with amateurism to have athletes be paid for endorsement deals. And we know that because lots of other amateur sports organizations have their athletes do that, whether it's the Olympics or I even just saw the USGA made an announcement that their golfers are allowed to do endorsement deals and maintain their amateur status. That the way we think of amateurism, I think most people, is you're not paid to play. Uh, and with college athletes, you're also a student, right? That's what it means to be a college athlete. Uh, and and some would, plenty would push back and say, well, why can't they be paid? Anyway, you can be a college student and still be paid. But putting that aside, yes, I agree with you. You can say to the Supreme Court, hey, this does not affect amateurism because this is third parties, not the schools, and this is for name, image, and likeness, so not for playing. So it is absolutely consistent with amateurism. Is it something we've banned in the past? Yes, but we've evolved and we're allowed to evolve. And it wouldn't make sense for us to have the same rules we had 100 years ago. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a legitimate argument, but they may have been, again, worried that it might weaken their Supreme Court case. And if they win in front of the Supreme Court, it could give them a lot more ammunition when they go back to Congress or they go to these states um, or when they're dealing with the next lawsuit. Okay, well, one more question here about, you know, these endorsements and these third parties. You mentioned, you know, how they're going to be able to do this in a way where, at least from the recruiting side of things, how do they get it so, you know, hey, you're, you won't get an endorsement just for coming to Alabama. How do they regulate that where people are actually getting paid for, you know, who they are as a person and not for, you know, what school they're playing football for or basketball for? Yeah, it's kind of the, the million or billion dollar question in some ways, the, the fear of recruiting. And part of it could be that there are multiple proposals out there. One that you, you're not allowed to do the deal or uh, negotiate the deal until you're at the school. Um, so that would per, at least prevent some of it. But I, I think in reality, the what would happen is if the Alabama starting quarterback gets a $250,000 making up the number endorsement deal with Nike, then when they're recruiting the next quarterback, they'll say, we can't promise you anything and we can't pay you anything and we can't set up the deal, but we can tell you what the quarterback now is making. Exactly. And then look at what the quarterback at Alabama State is making. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's going to be any way around that. And I will say, frankly, I'm not sure that's a bad thing because that type of recruiting happens in a thousand other ways, whether it's with coaching salaries or facilities or travel, or the number of different uniforms they have, or the video games they have, or the, the, the laser tag facility at a barbershop, all of that we know is used for recruiting. And the problem with that is it's an inefficient way to recruit. It's an inefficient way to compete. And that ben some of those benefits are going to the athletes, but wouldn't it be better just to pay them directly or allow them to be paid directly? And so I, I don't think much would change, frankly, in recruiting other than more money would go to the athletes. But it's impossible. I mean, it's almost literally impossible for the top 15 or 20 football schools to do better in recruiting than they're doing right now. They're, they're already getting all of the top guys. Um, so it won't change anything in terms of 
the balance of, of competition other than, again, athletes will get some of this money. And it might allow some other schools that haven't been able to kind of crack the elite top to, to do better because an athlete might say, hey, if I go to Miami, maybe Miami's not a great example, but if I, if I go to New York, um, I can get a good deal so I, or New Jersey, so I'm going to go sign with Rutgers. And all of a sudden, Rutgers is starting to get better players and they can compete more. Uh, right now, and no offense to Rutgers, they're not competitive. And the system is not working for most of the schools in terms of competitive balance. So I think this change can only help because it can't get any worse in terms of competitive balance. And we know we'll be better for the athletes. That's a very good point. I mean, I agree with everything you just said there. Uh, speaking of Alabama, since we're here, I believe Alabama, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Alabama's state bill had some sort of choice that athletes would have where they could take name and image and likeness, and I believe it was probably third-party only or some sort of endorsements, or they could just take a straight-up $10,000 check. Is that something that is kind of abnormal and probably not going to be seen in very many other bills whether it's or legislation by the NCAA? Is that kind of out there on its own, or is that something people are really considering? That's an outlier. Um, there's maybe one or two other states that have considered that. Now, keep in mind, there have been a lot of bills introduced, particularly at the state level, a lot in 2020 that went nowhere. And so it's key is to look at what's happening in 2021. Now in Alabama, that is that did just happen. Um, I, I, it's, a, it's an alternative that some athletic directors have proposed that you really get to opt in, that you can do NIL um, or not do NIL, but, but if you don't do NIL, then we actually will give you some payment as a way to provide a benefit to all athletes uh, and, and maybe remove some of the incentive to spend all your time on TikTok or social media. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to get much traction because I, at this, now maybe five years ago it would have, but I think we're too far along now um, that we really want to just allow all the athletes to uh, have the opportunity to make money off of name and likeness and not put any restrictions on it. And then if they schools want to be able to provide an additional stipend, I think that might be a separate discussion. But I, I think it's more likely it will just be you get to do it just like every other student on campus. Yeah, and going off of that, because I think the biggest question I've received about this is, you know, what about the third string left guard for, you know, Weber State or whatever the case may be? And I think it was New York State that passed. There was like a 2.5% revenue to all the athletes. Um is that, I mean, I, again, I'm sure that's more of an outlier. When it, and obviously, like you mentioned before, something the NCAA is more scared of. But how do we account for those players that maybe aren't as popular, aren't going to get the third-party deals? Or is it more like, hey, at least someone's getting paid. That's better than nobody. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would certainly not be opposed and I would be in favor if all athletes got some additional revenue. But this is the way the system works at all other levels. This, the backup left guard in the NFL is not getting the endorsement deal as the starting same endorsement deal as the starting quarterback or any endorsement deal, and we don't really seem to have a problem with that. Um, and it's you know, the, the people who are worth more get more, and, and I think that's that's fine. Now in the NFL, they do have a group licensing deal with the video game, so that every NFL player does get a share of that revenue. And I think that could absolutely happen at the college level, and that would be great that every college football player gets whether it's two, three, four, five thousand dollars, which would certainly be a a meaningful amount of money, but then you say, well, what about the volleyball player? What about the lacrosse player? And they're working just as hard. Um, they're not driving the revenue that the football players are, but, but shouldn't they get a share? And then you can say, all right, well, maybe all of the revenue gets shared across all of the athletes. 
I'm not opposed to that on some level, but I do think the athlete who is worth more should get paid more. Um, and we already see these discrepancies on college campuses. You look at a baseball team or the equivalency scholarship sports where not everybody gets a full scholarship. Some players on the baseball team are close to full scholarship. Some are walk-ons. And that's worked out fine. Right? The, the star is getting more than the, the backup. And even on the football team, you know, I think it's it's a little disingenuous to suggest that the starting quarterback isn't already treated differently than the backup left guard. Um, That's a good point. There there are differences. And would I love for the backup left guard to get money? Yes. But I'd love for the backup left guard in the NFL to get more money. But they, they don't. And, and it's, you know, we kind of want to let the market do its work. But I, I would certainly not be opposed to revenue sharing, but just you think about the, the how the revenue sharing might work, it's not that different than in some ways what's happening now where the college football and men's, mostly men's basketball programs are helping to subsidize the Olympic sports on college campuses. So the golf team, the lacrosse team, the rowing team. And you look at the demographics of the college football and basketball team compared to the demographics of the rowing and golf and lacrosse team and swimming team. Uh, and we're basically asking predominantly black athletes to subsidize the sports of predominantly white athletes. And, you know, we can, we can debate whether that's right or not. It's a fact. Do we want to continue that by saying the star quarterback or the running back, whoever it might be, has to share even more of that revenue with, with other players? Um, you know, that's a policy question. And I, I'm not sure it's the right policy. But, again, I'm not opposed to finding some way to – benefit all athletes if possible. Okay, well, let's shift gears a little bit here and, and talk more about your role and how you're going to help solve this problem here. The Uniform Law Commission do a lot of lot of things, obviously not just name, image, and likeness related, um, but you're a reporter on their committee. What does that role actually mean, and what is your committee doing um, to hopefully create, write a bill that all states can pass, hopefully by the summer? Yeah, so it's this organization, as you said, it's called the Uniform Law Commission. It's made up of lawyers from every state and jurisdiction in the country, and they try to identify areas of law that would benefit from uniformity, where it would make sense for every state to have the same law, um, because it just makes it easier to transact business from state to state, lots of different reasons. And they identify name, image, and likeness as one of those areas. So they put together a committee, and then they asked me to be the reporter, which is really the drafter. So I'm helping... Uh, draft a law that ideally would be adopted by all 50 states. So we would have that uniformity. And the process has been to involve as many stakeholders as possible. So we've had up to about 120 or 140 people on the calls we've done, uh, people from the NCAA, from schools, from agencies, former athletes, apparel companies, players associations, trying to get all the different viewpoints to find a compromise. And as you know, a compromise means basically that nobody is happy, but um, but at least everybody is satisfied. And the goal is to have something that all the states would buy, on, buy into and also an opportunity to work with Congress to say, look, we can have this work at the federal level where there's uniformity, but also something at the state level, but that would give the states a little more leeway. That although we want general uniformity, it doesn't have to be exact uniformity. That some states might want to do things differently, for example, with how they register agents. That doesn't have to happen at a national level. Um, how they actually register third parties who can deal with the agents. We want to have states have a voice in that because, just as one example, Utah might have different standards than New York. 
and Utah might want to have more restrictions on who's able to do business there. And we want to give those states the right to do that. That's our, what we call our federalism model, where there are lots of things that states have the power to do. So the goal of this Uniform Law Commission is to work with the states and with Congress to try to come up with legislation that would allow for name, image, and likeness payments to college athletes from third parties and do it, as you said, with the, you know, this is like the James Bond or MacGruber clock ticking down. The bomb's about to explode. We have to get, we have to get this done and agreed on before it all blows up. Um, so we are busily working, uh, trying to get this approved and out to the states. So we're we're optimistic that we can play a role in this. I don't know how much you're allowed to say or how far along you are in the process, but what's it looking like? Uh, well, I would say it looks like, and this is part of the goal because we want all the states to adopt it. So it's looking like a compromise between the most common state proposals. And I say most common, so it's, it does not take into account the revenue sharing that Alabama and New York and South Carolina have put out there. It's more a middle ground between Florida, California, the NCAA, and some of the federal legislation. So there's no major surprises in there. It's a the general system is athletes can use agents, third parties can pay them for name, image, and likeness. There's some basic restrictions on it, but it's it's designed as long as it is a legitimate deal. If it's not, you know, we don't want someone to say you get a million dollars for signing one autograph just so you'll come to Alabama, not to continue picking on Alabama. Um, <laughs> but we want these to be legitimate deals. We want them to be paid for their name, image, and likeness, not for something else. There are people who say don't put any restrictions on it. Uh, the problem with that is we know what will happen. Then people will pay more than the value of the deal or, or pay more so they get them to come to the school. And that's a different system. That's a different model. If people want that model, you should fight for that model. I don't think you should call that name, image, and likeness. I think you just call that payment. Um, if we're going to do a name, image, and likeness model, we should make sure that they're being actually being paid for their name, image, and likeness and nothing else. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. I kind of It's almost hard sometimes to separate them, but I, th I think it's very important to do so. Do you guys think you'll have something you know, in the hands of state legislators or in the hands of the NCAA by that July 1st or before July 1st, I suppose? That's the goal. That's the goal. And I, and I will say it's, it's a challenge um, just because it's a, it's a complicated area and there are a lot of strongly held beliefs on it. But to the commission's credit, and this is my first time working with them, they are not doing this as an academic exercise. Right? They're not doing it just so they can have their voice out there. They're doing it because they think the law needs to look a certain way and, and needs to be uniform. So the, they weren't going to do it unless they could do it in, in time to have an impact. So the goal is to get it done before July 1. And even if it's not necessarily officially uh, ratified, it can the process can start with talking to the states and start talking with Congress about what the law would look like. Okay, well, let's um, get into the final segment here. And I really want to ask you about this because I'm a huge video game guy. I love EA Sports. Well, I don't love EA Sports necessarily, but I love the EA Sports video games. Um, have to ask, all this stuff right now, and I saw Matt Brown had just posted some more stuff. He, he filed some claims and he got some more information this past week on when the game is probably going to be released and, and, and things like that. So please go check that out as well. But Right now, what's it looking like and what's it going to take for us to get um, all schools back in to a college football video game by 2023? So it really is just going to take two things, and just is, is 
an understatement, but one would be opening up these name, image, and likeness payments, which seems like it's inevitable, whether it happens in July or August, or it's coming one way or another. Uh, and then the other is to allow athletes to use the marks and logos of the school in their NIL deals or to be in their jerseys um, in these NIL deals, which right now some of the states and the NCAA would not permit. And that would be at this point one of the big obstacles to the video game. Because obviously why you want to play the video game or the, the old version of the video game is so that you have the real players wearing the real jerseys in the real stadiums and it feels very realistic. Uh, you can't do that if the players aren't allowed to do deals with the marks and logos. Um, so if that were the case, you would have one video game that just had the marks and logos of the schools, which could exist right now, and the other game would just have the players, but not the marks and logos. And we obviously want those combined. So one change is there'd have to be uh, use of marks and logos by the students. The other is some group licensing, group licensing apparatus. So for the pro players, the NFLPA has a group licensing deal. All the NFL players sign it. That deal allows EA to use every player, or at least every player who signed it, um, in the video game. College doesn't really have a mechanism for that right now because they don't. College athletes don't have a union. So I'd be figuring out how to create that mechanism, which is not difficult. Anyone can do it. College football coaches do it. They don't have a union, but they have a group licensing deal, so they're in the video games when the video game existed. Um, NFL coaches, same thing. They have a group licensing deal, even though they don't have a union. Not every NFL coach has signed it. I think most people know Bill Belichick has refused to sign it, which is why when you play with the Patriots in Madden, there's someone who doesn't look anything like Bill Belichick. Um, but so those those are the big obstacles, or the the joint licensing deals. You know, having this because the schools do not want the Texas football player to do an endorsement deal wearing the Texas football jersey because their fear is that will really lead to a, a student choosing a school based on their endorsement possibilities. Because you know if you go to Texas and you can wear their jersey in an ad, you're going to get paid much more than if you go to Texas State. Um, so there, there's a, a possible restriction on the logos and a possible restriction on group licensing. But the, the Knight Commission, I do some work with the Knight Commission as well, which is this outside organization, their proposal, and I'm biased, but their proposal would say, you know, you can still have all those restrictions in place, but let's let the video game happen. And the video game can happen by saying, you can do a group licensing deal and the athletes can use the marks and the logos as long as it's a national deal, and as long as the athletes all share in the revenue, which is exactly what the video game is. That's, that's why it is the video game, because every school is in it, every athlete is in it, and then every athlete gets a piece of it. And that, to me, seems like a pretty simple solution. Whatever else the law says or the rules say, you can do a video game, you can do trading cards. Share the revenue, schools will get more money, the athletes will get more money, fans will be happy. It's a win-win-win. There is no reason we shouldn't have college video game right now. Um, so I, I, I think it's only a matter of time. And, and frankly, it's the issue that seems to be most important to the most number of people other than college athletes, right? That, that's what the general public wants is they want their video game. Yeah, no, there's no question about that. And it's almost kind of um, upsetting that it leads that way, but I, whatever the case is to get you know things done, I'm sure athletes won't complain that they're getting paid more and it took the video game to kind of be the first one through the wall. Is there any way that the third-party stuff, the name, image, and likeness stuff could be separated from that one group licensing deal? Like, okay, we can't necessarily come together on a, you know, a, a 
name, image, and likeness deal for all of our different states or all of our different schools, whatever the case may be. But can we all come together and just pass a group licensing deal just for the video game? Is it possible to separate those two, or, or are we past that? I think we're past that. I, I think it's, again, five years ago, we probably could have done that as a first point. But I just think there's too many people who say that's not enough. It's, that's good. That's better than where we are. But th this has become not just a, a video game issue. This has become not just an economic issue. This is a civil rights issue for a lot of people now. And certainly for Cory Booker and others, see, this is, th these are athletes, predominantly black athletes who are being exploited. And it's not enough to just put them in a video game and, and give them a little bit of money. Let them do what everybody else is doing. So I don't think it would be separated now. It's possible. You know, you never know. Um, and, and there certainly could be temporary legislation, but but I think they'd get it all done at one time rather than just going to the video game. Okay, and I have to ask you, you know, Tulane, one of the handful of teams um, out there that said, hey, we are, uh, we're not going to be a part of it for right now. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I'll just say our athletic director, Troy Dannon, uh, he and I have been talking about this issue for a, for a long time, and he agrees that, college athletes deserve more economic rights, that they should be paid for their name, image, and likeness. And he's been pretty vocal about it. And Tulane was one of the first groups to put together their own working group to focus on how to um, benefit athletes when name, image, and likeness legislation is passed, that they formed that group maybe eight or nine months ago. And the thought was, this is something, the video game should happen, but it should not happen without the college athletes and should not happen without the college athletes getting paid. Uh, that, that is not fair. That, that this has gone on too long. Um, and so it, it was a statement, certainly not against the video game. This is in favor of the video game, but it was in favor of the athletes getting paid. So the thought that EA might put together the video game without the athlete's permission or without paying them or by modifying their images or names enough so it wouldn't be illegal. Um, again, I think Tulane and Notre Dame and, and Northwestern have said, no, we're not going to do that. We, we did that eight, nine years ago. We got sued. We lost. We're not doing it again. It's not right legally. It's not right morally. Um, it's not right socially that we want the athletes to get more. Again, this is an easy way to do it. If you're excited about the video game, great. Be excited about it and also pay the athletes at the same time. Right. And that seems to be a very uh, common feeling towards everybody. Before I let you go, and I really appreciate your time, we know that the uh, Austin versus NCAA is coming up here at the end of the month, but we're probably not going to get um, a decision for a couple months after that, like you already said. Is there something specific that we should be paying attention to, language that the NCAA tries to use um, to make their case? Or is there something that we should be, oh, wow, you know, they actually are willing to kind of bend their rules a little bit? Is there something maybe we should be holding on to that maybe that everyday person that doesn't listen to all of the lawyer jargon um, can pick up on? Yeah, that's a good question. I, mean, I, I think there's so much... Um, going on at the Supreme Court level, and not surprising, this is the first NCAA case to go to the Supreme Court since 1984. Um, and it's really only the second of all time to go to the Supreme Court. And so what we saw is briefs filed by not only the NCAA and the conferences and the plaintiffs, but probably 25 or 30 other briefs that were filed by groups that are not parties to the case, but just wanted their voice heard. And uh, the U.S. government also filed a brief, and they want to be able to participate in the oral argument. So there is so much being written, so many issues involved here, and, and so many potential implications. But I would say that the thing for the sort of non-lawyer who's just casually interested in the, in the legal arguments but 
kind of want to know what it might mean for the future of sports. It's really more going to be about the questions that justices ask on March 31st, because we know for the most part what the arguments are that each side is going to make, because they've been making the same arguments for 30 years, 40 years. Nothing has really changed there. The NCAA continues to say, not only do they get to define amateurism, um, but they get to run college sports and they shouldn't have judges or courts or Congress interfere. Uh, and, and they're continuing that. And, and the basis of their argument is, if you change the rules, it's going to destroy the difference between college and pro sports. And if we destroy that difference, then college sports will lose their popularity. They'll just become another poorly watched pro sport. Right? The reason we love college sports, according to the NCAA, is because they are college students and because they're not paid. So anything that constitutes pay will destroy college sports, will destroy opportunities for college athletes. Just paying attention to, one, how the NCAA continues to make that argument, and then two, how the justices respond to that argument, the questions they ask. Because, and I'll, I'll try to say this as quickly and succinctly as possible, but the, what the plaintiffs argue is, look, you're not allowed as a group of competitors, all the different schools, to say, we are gonna define our product, college football, college basketball, as a game played by people we refuse to play. Because then why don't engineers do the same thing? Why, why doesn't Google and Apple and LG and Sony get together and say, hey, we've got a new computer that we're producing and it's called an amateur computer. And it's different than the other computers and why it's different is because we don't pay our employees to make it. Uh, and we're actually not gonna pay any of them because we've created this whole new industry. You, you can't define your product in any other industry by the fact that you don't pay your employees. That's illegal. It's illegal under labor law, it's illegal under antitrust law, um, lots of other areas of law. And the NCAA has given, been given special treatment by the courts to say, no, you're different. College sports is different. We want to allow you to put these rules in that say athletes can't be paid. So seeing how both sides argue that issue and then again, focusing on how the justices respond to that. Some judges or most judges or justices have said, yeah, we love college sports. I don't want to destroy it. I don't want it to be paid. Um, others have said, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense. It can still be college sports. They'll be college students. That's what makes it college sports. Uh, so that's what I would be focusing on. And then also the, the other thing that's out there, not to make it more complicated, but um, as we said, Florida's law will take effect July 1, 2021, which is what now four months away, less than four months away, that the NCAA may sue the state of Florida to try to stop that law from taking effect. And their argument, I won't bore everybody with the details of the argument, but it would basically be that it's unconstitutional, that it's preventing them from having a national governance organization, um, which may mean in addition to everything we've already talked about, there may be a lawsuit where the NCAA is suing a state to try to stop that state from providing more benefits to its college athletes, which is not a great look for the NCAA to have, um, but, uh, but that may be out there as well. So something else to keep your eye out in case you don't have enough legal things to consider in college sports. Right. right, and, and actually, actually that, that made me think, think of one more thing that I have to ask you because I believe it came up in the Sports Illustrated that came out not too long ago, and that was if a state passes one of these laws that violates an NCAA rule, who wins that argument? Obviously, it's never happened before, but you know, they're talking about a team would have to then decide between following a state law, and if they didn't, they probably wouldn't get any more funding, and violating an NCAA rule. Um, if that goes to court, I don't know where that would go to, what would that look like? Yeah, it's a good question. And that's why the NCAA so desperately wants Congress to act first. 
or why they might sue Florida to avoid that situation. Um, but assuming none of that happens and, and we are faced with that situation, if the, if the let's take the state of Florida, which might be first, if the Florida athletes receive payment from third parties um, under the law, then the NCAA has to decide, are we going to punish them because they're violating NCAA rules or are we going to give them an exception because their state law requires them to do it? And if they do give them the exception, the question is, will they give that exception to every other athlete in every other school in every other state? And I don't know the answer to that, but that's, that's one thing they could do is say, we're not going to punish you because you're following your state law. Uh, or they could say, we are going to punish you because you are uh, violating NCAA rules. And then we'd get a lawsuit where the athletes or the school would sue the NCAA and say, you can't punish us. We're following state law. Um, so it might end up in court either way. Uh, or the NCAA could say, you know what, we're going to let you do it. We're going to let you get this payment. But hey, Congress, this is our whole point that you need to come in and protect us because we can't have individual states doing their own thing. And really part of their argument is that it, it may not be Florida's law that's so problematic. It may be because Florida's law might be inconsistent with the NCAA legislation. But it's the idea that another state could just come in, and whether it's Alabama or one of these other states we've talked about, and say, hey, this is a way for us to really get a recruiting advantage. We're going to allow our athletes to get paid by anyone for anything. And then that state makes it a law. Then what does the NCAA do? Right? Then they're basically at the whim of whatever state acts latest and most aggressively. Uh, so it's a what who would win between the state and the NCAA? That is still to be decided. Right? The, a court will either have to tell us unless one of the two backs down. And it could be the NCAA backing down. I doubt the state would back down. So if the NCAA does not back down, then we're going to end up in court. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a weird. It's like two turtles kind of racing to the finish line, but it seems like we're gonna get something uh, this summer. I mean, you're right. I think someone's gonna have to back down here, or, or you know, at, at the very least, it seems like the athletes are in a really good position here. It seems like one way or another, they're going to get more payment, um, whether it's through the NCAA or through the states. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's change is change is coming. We know that, and after decades of wondering whether we were at a tipping point to give college athletes more rights. I think we are more rights. I think we are finally here. And whether it's in July or, or January or, or whether it's the Supreme Court or Congress or the states or the NCAA, I think it's fair to say come August, um, if not spring next year, that college athletes will be able to make money off of their name and likeness. And then hopefully by 2022 or 2023, we'll be able to play the video game. <laughs> well, I'll play you first. How about that? There you go. Um, Gabe Feldman, thank you so much for coming on. Um, do you want to plug your podcast? Do you want to plug something else real quick? Yeah, I'd love for people to listen to Between the Lines, a podcast about sports and the law. I had a new episode drop yesterday. Um, I do a lot of college sports issues on there. We actually have the latest ones with Katie Anida, who people might remember was the first female to play in Division One football before Sarah Fuller. There was Katie, Katie Anida. Um, and we just have lots of good college sports content on there. It's not just legal issues. It's, it's trying to dig into the sports industry. So check it out on, on Apple Podcasts. And as I say to everyone, and you might say this too, even if you don't listen, just give it five stars. That's really what I want. Yes, just, just give five stars. No, dude, you crushed it. I really appreciate it. I mean, you were able to come in here and – tone it down you i don't think you had any lawyer jargon i was like what did he just say um we really appreciate it here because 
most of us, I mean, not that we're not smart or anything like that, but I mean, you get in the thicket of the, you know, that conversation and especially reading it sometimes you can, you can really lose yourself. So we really appreciate you coming on here and really laying it all out on the table. Nice and in a great fashion. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and uh, be well. I will. You too. Okay. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Gabe Feldman. What a great interview that was. Appreciate him taking some time on his Friday to sit down and talk about all of this. I think he did a wonderful job not making it confusing, taking it step by step, and really explaining the entire process and the current situation. Uh, go listen to his podcast as well. And that's all I have for you today. We uh, will see you next time. If you've made it this far in the episode, I urge you, please go to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star review and a rating. All five-star reviews are read on the show if you have time to do that. Um, and that's it. If you want to follow me on Twitter, if you want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, please go ahead and do that as well, Hardcore CFP. If you want to check out our website, the website is up. And, of course, we also still have merch. So that is all I have. I hope you have a fantastic week. Thank you for joining us on Hardcore CFB. Until next time, I'm signing off. Stay hardcore, my friends.